listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. The opportunities for 2023 and where investors' expectations should be more tempered in Canadian REITs is our focus today on this Intune podcast. I'm Camilla Sutton, Head of Canadian and UK Equity Research, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Mike Marquitas, MD REITs Analyst here at BMO. Mike, I'm looking forward to the journey you're about to take us on today. Why don't we kick it off at a really high level? Thank you, Camilla. It's a pleasure, A, to uh, join the firm and B, join you for this podcast, my first as a career. Coming back to your question in terms of why we've cautioned investors to temper expectations, there's really a couple of things that we need to flush out here. First is, is that year to date, the total return for the S&P TSX cap rate index is negative 15%. That is actually slightly worse than where we were in 2020. And it's going to be the worst performance that we've seen since the REIT sell-off in 2008 that was sparked by the global financial crisis. Now, typically, when we have these significant down years in the REIT market, that is followed by a strong rebound the next year. However, our outlook for 2023 is certainly not as optimistic. And the reason is, is that we've got a few things that are happening. Number one, we've got pressure or continued downward pressure on property pricing. As you know, we saw significant volatility, both in terms of quantum and speed on the yield curve, specifically at the long end of the curve, and that caused a significant downdraft in Canadian REITs. And the property market, in terms of how property prices adjust, take a little bit longer for that to play out. So what we've seen is that over the last couple of quarters, investment volume in the private market has slowed down considerably. In Q3, we were down 44% from the Q1-22 peak. And cap rates, which are negatively correlated to the value of the assets, have started to creep higher. So as we move forward into 2023, we've still got the lingering impact of higher interest rates and what that means in terms of what investors can pay. Higher interest rates are also reducing the amount of leverage that you can put on to finance a property simply because you've got coverage ratios that you've got to maintain. And then lastly, as it relates to just movements in the markets, we've got potential rebalancing allocations from pension fund investors. Simply put, their real estate allocations are now in excessive targets because the marks on their real estate portfolio have not adjusted very quickly and certainly not as quickly as the value of their equity holdings or their bond portfolios. And we've also got happening in the background some funds which are struggling with redemptions, and these would be private REITs or alternative funds. So when you put all those things together, we expect property pricing to continue to go down in the next several quarters. Now, what does that mean for REITs? We've got a situation now where the valuation screens attractively on a PNAB basis. The sector-weighted average for our companies under coverage is negative 11%. And although we have adjusted our, our NABs to the downside, we still think that there could be some more pressure on NAS as we move forward. So we're not necessarily counting on the fact that prices will spring back up towards where NAVs are today. The narrowing of that gap may be a numerator and a denominator dynamic. The second thing is that you know PNAB is one of the 
metrics that we rely on when we're looking at valuing REITs. Right now, if you just look at earnings yield spreads, and what we look at is the sector-weighted average AFFO, we see that on average for our group, even though we're at a PNAB disconnect, the sector-weighted average earnings yield spread is actually below the long-term average. And that's at a disconnect from what we would typically see in periods where the sector was trading at a significant price-to-nav discount. Lastly, when we look at, um, and this is related to the earnings yield spread equation, when we just look at the outlook for cash flow growth in our universe, again, on a sector-weighted average basis or a market cap-weighted average basis, overall for our sector right now, our, our forecasts are calling for 1% to 2% if over unit growth in 2023 and 2024. So taken together, we're still somewhat cautious on the, uh, on the valuation side, and, and that's why we don't think we're going to see a repeat of what we saw in 2009. In 2021. I love the way you just walked us through that. Thank you. So from a fundamental perspective, you have industrial real estate at the top of your pecking order, even though you are expecting a recession next year. Can you walk us through that? Sure. So when we look at our rankings for the property segments, the first thing you need to consider is where you sit from a demand and supply balance perspective. The second thing that we need to consider is, as you pointed out, what the demand sensitivity would be to a potential economic recession. And then lastly, when we think about the dynamic or the setup for the four main food groups, and that would be industrial, multi-residential, retail, and office, there are also, in addition to those things that we just mentioned, there are also other secular considerations that we need to take into account. So circling back to where we stand on industrial, the starting point is tremendous. So right now, national availability is only 1.5%. If you contrast that back to 2008, the last time that we had a recession in Canada, that figure would have been in the mid-single digits. I believe it was around 5%. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that when we look at what's happening or, or what type of recession we will be having here in Canada and what the dynamics in the setup were last time, and that's back in 2008, we think there is a key difference. In 2008, it really was, when you look at it, there was a lot of manufacturing jobs that were lost in Canada. And you could actually look back at that time period and you could see a lot of movement, specifically in the automotive sector, of manufacturing jobs to right-to-work states in the U.S. and also down into Mexico. Now, if we think about the setup this time around, we'd have it a pandemic. We're arguably now not globalizing anymore. We could be entering a period of deglobalization. So... Our thesis here is that Canada is not going to experience the same erosion in its manufacturing base. And that is not the primary driver, but a significant component of overall demand for the industrial sector. And lastly, when we just think about the secular considerations, you've still got to keep in mind that from a long-term basis, even though e-commerce demand has tempered somewhat from the peaks that we experienced when we were completely locked down as a society, the overall direction of that movement is still pointed to uh, an upward slope. So there's continued momentum there. And also just building upon that deglobalization theme, we haven't really seen it here yet to any significant degree in Canada but we could actually see some reshoring and that would be a positive for industrial fundamentals over the long term. So industrials first, followed by multi-residentials. Can you walk us through how the space was impacted by the pandemic and what we see or you see from a demand perspective now? 
Sure. So multi-res is supposed to be the least sensitive to economic cycles of the asset classes that we follow. And the rationale there is that you need to live somewhere. Now, having said that, it's not completely immune because household formation is driven to some degree by employment growth. In the early stages of the pandemic, what we saw is that multifamily fundamentals actually softened. And the reason why it softened is because the key driver of household formation and household demand in Canada is immigration. That is 90% of our population growth. And when the pandemic happened, our borders closed, immigration, the tap was turned off, and you saw a decrease in our population growth. That has now completely reversed itself. We had fresh estimates that came out in late December that gave us population estimates for October 1st of 2022. And I can tell you that our population growth on an annual basis in Canada now far exceeds where we were pre-pandemic. To give you some numbers behind that, in Q4 of 2019, the national population growth in Canada was 1.6% on an annualized basis. Per the numbers that were put out by Statistics Canada yesterday, we are now growing at a clip of 2.3%. And that sequentially represents an increase from 1.8% that we had per the numbers on July 1st. So short of it is immigration has snapped back significantly. Our population growth is roaring back. That is causing a significant tailwind for demand going forward. Also, when you think about the multi-res sector, in Canada, there is a critical undersupply of just housing in the affordable segment. That is not something that we've seen change. It's not something that we're going to see changing in the next couple of years. So with all that being said, the question might be, well, why do we see multi-res second behind industrial? Because that's, a, that's an extremely positive picture that you just painted. Two things to keep in mind here is that multi-residential is actually a gross lease business. So what that means is that operating expense pressures do find its way through to landlords P&Ls. When you pay rent as a tenant, traditionally in a purpose-built rental building, you're not paying for your heat, you're not paying for your hydro. And then secondly, there is a ongoing review of housing as an asset class in Canada, and that is leading to some regulatory uncertainty. You just mentioned it a bit here, and you also mentioned it in your outlook. You, know, you flagged regulatory uncertainty as something that multi-residential investors need to be cognizant of. So can you expand on this a little bit, particularly focusing on some of the potential risk? Sure. So the issue is not at the provincial uh, level as it, as it relates to rent control, and that's something that we've been concerned with in the past. Really where the uncertainty lies today is at the federal level. And back in the spring of 2022, in the budget, federal government announced a review of housing as an asset class. That is something that has been slow to materialize, but there are two government agencies. One is partisan, one is nonpartisan that are undertaking these reviews. And specifically, the National Housing Council is forming a review panel to look at the impact of financialization of the purpose-built rental market and how that is impacting things. So the narrative that, that has been out there is that we, we might see some resolution on this topic by the spring 2023 budget. When we look at what stage both the National Housing Council, and I'm going to use an acronym, but it's HUMA, which is a committee of the House of Commons, are in the reviews. It's very early stages, and we would be surprised to 
see a resolution by spring 2023. So we're not forecasting uh, or calling for a negative outcome in terms of punitive measures, specifically at the income tax level that could potentially impact large corporate owners, including the resi REITs. However, we think the expectation that things will be resolved over the next several months and specifically by the spring is more and more unlikely as we progress. Interesting. So, Mike, what are your best ideas in the multi-res space? We have our best ideas at the top would be Boardwalk and Interent. If we circle back to Boardwalk, the thesis behind this name is, is really quite simple. Number one, it's in the best position to capture rental rate growth or top line growth in 2023 in our view. And that really is because of its geographic concentration in Alberta, which is 60% of portfolio. Alberta is one of the provinces that does not have rent control in Canada. So that gives Boardwalk a greater ability to capitalize on strong fundamentals, which we really are seeing across the entire universe or across the country from a multi-residential rental perspective at this moment. The second part of our positive thesis on Boardwalk would also be our expectations or outlook for operating expense control. So we talked about inflation, we can talk about interest rates. Um, One of the things that multifamily REITs have to struggle with, again, is the fact that they are gross lease businesses, meaning that their rents do not, um, other than getting increases annually, whether it's through renewal or a new lease, volatility in the OPEX line, whether it be utilities or property taxes, are not directly absorbed by the tenant, something the landlord has to pay. We believe that Boardwalk, partly due to its natural gas hedgebook, is in the best position to control or mitigate above average inflation, which we are experiencing currently from an operating expense perspective. Third, and this is an important part of our thesis, is Boardwalk's capital structure. It doesn't have the lowest leverage in the group. In fact, it's at the upper end from a leverage perspective. However, it does have by far the lowest payout ratio, and it also has the lowest operating capital intensity. So when you think about that, you can combine the fact that Boardwalk's got one of the highest NOI growth outlooks in our coverage, and it can fund substantially all of its operating capex with retained cash flow. That is a unique attribute that we think is very important in an environment with capital constraints. And then finally, just turning to valuation, despite these positive attributes that we mentioned, Boardwalk trades at the lower end of the range on all metrics. It's got one of the highest implied cap rates, got one of the uh, lowest price to FFO multiples on 2023 and 2024. So putting all those things together, we think it makes a lot of sense for the new year. Mike, there's a lot there. I'm really glad you could join us for your first podcast at BMO and our first podcast of 2023. That was Mike Marquitas, Managing Director, REITs at BMO Capital Markets, speaking to some of the themes from our REITs team's 2023 outlook titled Something's Gotta Give. BMO Capital Markets is proud to deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming equity research trends that will prove important to client investment decisions through both this in tune podcast, as well as our commodity-specific Metal Matters, hosted by Colin Hamilton. If you enjoyed today's in tune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, 
thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.